throughout Matthew's gospel, these past hundred and four messages that we have preached out of Matthew's gospel, throughout this gospel, we have seen repeatedly the theme of the kingdom of heaven. That is the theme of Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And more specifically, we have seen the king of the kingdom of heaven, who is Jesus Christ. Beginning back in Matthew 1 and continuing through our text this morning in Matthew 13, 53, the evidence continues to mount. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. And all of that evidence, from genealogy to miraculous powers to fulfilled prophecies, to teachings and everything that gives evidence, all of that is given in order that sinners listening to Jesus teach and sinners listening to me preach this very morning will repent of their unbelief and trust Christ alone for salvation. Also, those of us who trust Him for salvation are being taught in this particular gospel that our Lord's yoke is easy, His burden is light. We are to come and follow Him. We are to take up our cross, and we are to follow our Savior, Jesus. We are also commanded, and we have example throughout these opening 13 chapters, how we are to submit to His kingship, how we are to submit to His lordship, how we are to follow His leadership and be disciples of our Savior. Because in that submission, He not only bursts us into His kingdom, but will one day in the future lead us to His everlasting kingdom, where we forever, face to face, will worship Him and adore Him throughout all eternity. Our text this morning is a combination and a continuation of the portions of opposition and the situations of opposition that appear throughout Matthew's gospel, to Jesus and His teaching. If you remember, back in verse 13 of this chapter, Matthew 13, 13, we were told by our Lord why He was speaking in parables. He says, Therefore speak out of them in parables, because they seeing not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. He said in verse 14, I'm preaching out of and teaching parables because it fulfills the prophet Isaiah who said I would, but I am primarily teaching in parables because of the hardness of men's heart and their unbelief and their opposition to me being the Son of God come to save men's soul. It's a sad commentary that we've read this morning here in verse 53 through 58, a sad commentary on the teaching and preaching of Jesus in the fact of how men had responded to it. Basically, they are indifferent. They have stayed indifferent to the ministry of Jesus. Yes, they enjoy the miraculous loaves and fishes. Yes, they enjoy the miraculous healings. Yes, they are glad to see this crowd that is swirling around this popular individual by the name of Jesus. But as far as His message of the kingdom and His message of repentance that was first stated by John Baptist and then continued by our Lord, the majority has failed yet to repent. 
And the majority has failed yet to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The opposition is spreading rapidly. And even in verse 57, his, his own family and his home village, they are in opposition to Jesus. And it is rapidly increasing. Verse 57, we'll look at again in a moment, says, They were offended in Him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. You would think by this point in the ministry of our Lord that those closest to Him and those who knew Him best would come to Him and repent and call upon Him for saving grace. But what is happening here? It's best described in Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. If you want to look over at these verses for a moment, Matthew 15, 8 and 9. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But then Jesus says, Their heart is far from me. And then He expands on that and says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That is exactly what is happening in the ministry of our Lord. That is exactly what is happening today when the true gospel is preached and the person of Christ is exalted. Whenever you tell a lost world about Jesus and you tell a lost world about His salvation and what He requires for men to be saved, uh, then sometimes they respond by giving Jesus nothing but lip service and lip worship. Our Lord in Matthew 15, 8 and 9 is quoting from Isaiah 29, 13. And it's a serious moment in the history of God's people here in Galilee. It's a serious moment in the history of the lives of Jesus' disciples. It's also about to get serious, and we'll look at that in the next section of this book in Matthew 14 and moving on toward the cross. It's about to get serious for Herod. It's about to get serious for the Roman government as well. When the gospel is scorned and rejected, things get serious in a hurry. And you will see as we move through this gospel in the coming weeks and months, you will see very clearly where it is accepted, you will see where it is believed, and you will see where it is rejected. You and I are living in a culture that is making that very obvious it is becoming very obvious, it's becoming very clear. Men who believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and those who just give Him mere lip service as being some deity from a foreign land. There is a world of difference and there is an eternal difference whenever you identify Christ as a good teacher or a moral teacher or a moral man in comparison with being literally God in the flesh. And this is unfolding here in the Word of God in Matthew's Gospel. I believe this morning our Lord's words are a good picture of the people to whom our Lord was ministering. It's true that they honored Him with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. Just moments ago, the choir honored the Lord with their lips and their voice, as you did in the congregation, as I'm doing now in my preaching but only God knows my heart, and only God knows your heart. And it is possible to honor Him with our lips and never know Him in our heart. The difference is heaven and hell. It's possible to attend West Sonora Baptist Church, even be a member of this church, and honor Jesus with your lip, but your heart be far, far from Him. 
We can sit in this building or men can listen online to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And uh, they can even say amen with their lips and yet their hearts be so distant from the Lord. Jesus said after teaching these seven parables about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, after making it very clear, after explaining several of these parables in detail, He comes now to them and He says to them, Here I am in my own country and I'm without honor. Here I am uh, with my own family and there's unbelief still everywhere all around. It leads us to see what the heart of this text is saying this morning First of all, in verse 53 through the first part of verse 57, we see that people blessed by Jesus can still reject Him. People who are blessed by Jesus can still reject Him. If you were to ask, probably the average American citizen, at least my age or older, or maybe even 40 and above, if you were to ask a common man on the street today uh, who's never attended church or he's not in church today or has no association with the people of God, if you were to ask that individual, probably 40 or 50 years old up, if they believed God had blessed this country, they would without hesitation say yes. Now if you were to ask the younger generation that, they would probably pause and ask you to define who you're talking about, or what you're talking about. But for the most part, people say, yes, the Lord has blessed us. There's no doubt the Lord had blessed His people. There's no doubt that Jesus had blessed sick people in healing them. He had blessed hungry people in feeding them. He had blessed others in teaching them and raising them up. And yet we find that they are still rejecting Him for who He is. He comes back to his hometown of Nazareth where he grew up as a boy. The text says that he entered in verse 54. He taught them in their synagogue. Uh, That word means the meeting place or the gathering place where they discussed the law of God. And the Bible said he taught them in verse number 54. They are sitting there. Matthew used the word astonished. They are absolutely amazed. They are shocked. They are out of their their minds, so to speak, at what this man Jesus is able to show them and the insight He's able to give them in relation to the Word of God. A good country word to use here in place of astonished. If we were writing a Caldwell County version, we'd say he was bum- they were bumfuzzled. They were just literally taken by, uh, by the ability of Jesus to communicate the Word of God. But yet this crowd that is astonished, this crowd that is amazed, they are unconverted. They are lost. They are taken back by this man Jesus. They, no one has come through Nazareth like this in their lifetime. And yet they are unconverted. They are amazed at His wisdom. They are amazed at His power to do miracles. And yet instead of responding in repentance and belief, they reject Him. And that rejection is seen in the form of six rhetorical questions that are right there in your text. Look for six question marks. And this is how they respond to the miraculous, powerful miracles And the mighty Son of God, God Himself in the flesh, instead of responding in repentance, they ask Him six rhetorical questions. So people blessed can still reject Jesus. Look at them with me. 
First of all, they said in the latter part of verse 54, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? In other words, where did you get this power? And where did you get this wisdom? What course did you take? What community college have you been a part of to be able to do this? Second question, are, are, you, not the, uh, are you not the son of a carpenter? Was Joseph not, did you, were you not raised in the home of a carpenter? Carpenters don't do this. Carpenters don't have this kind of wisdom and this power. Carpenters take wood and put pieces of wood together. But you're taking the Word of God and you're putting it together. Thirdly, is your mother's name Mary? Next question. Are not your brothers named James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Are all your sisters... Are, Aren't your sisters standing here with us? And then again, they come back to the same question they ask in 54. They close in 56, the latter question. Which then has this man all these things? Where did you get the ability to do all of these things? Now, if you notice carefully these questions, they all relate to one specific thing at the root. They all relate to his origin. Where did he come from? Who is he kin to? Who does he belong to? It relates to his origin. If you look at these questions carefully, that's what you see. This crowd is saying, we love the miracles. Keep it up. We love the free food. We're all into it. We love to hear you take the Word of God and show us things that maybe we haven't seen, although you get off a little bit on a few things that tradition outweighs truth in, in our minds. But we, we're just mesmerized that you are able to do these things and to be who you are. But the one problem we have here is your origin. Are you not Mary's son? Was your earthly father not a carpenter? Uh, you got brothers and sisters. What they're doing here is they're questioning whether or not he is God in the flesh. In other words, they like the stuff that goes with the kingdom, but they are not fully convinced that He's the King. Listen, this Bible was written. Jesus said, These things have I written in John's Gospel that you might believe, that you might believe. Thank God by faith this morning, by the truth of God's Word, and by the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart, I believe this morning that Jesus Christ was and is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is all God and all man. He came, He came, sent to this world by God to redeem us. But they are still questioning His origin. Every cult at its root, every cult at its root casts a shadow and puts a question mark on the incarnation of Jesus and the question mark of His deity and the fact that He is God in the flesh. Every cult across the board. You can study Mormonism. You can study Jehovah Witness doctrine. You can study all of those. And the one common denominator they have is Jesus Christ was not really God in the flesh. You see, people enjoy the blessings of Christ while at the same time still rejecting Him. If you're sitting here this morning enjoying His air, if you walk out of here in a little bit and enjoy His sunlight, and if in a few moments you sit down at a table and enjoy His food, and if you drink His water and you live the life He's given you, then you're enjoying His blessings. But if you've never repented of unbelief, you're rejecting Him for who He is. 
He is not a great teacher sent from God, though He was. He is not a good man sent from God, though He was. He is God sent from God to redeem us. Emmanuel, right? God with us. Jesus' hometown has not yet grasped and believed that Jesus is who He said that He was. Each question relates to His origin. And look at the answer, verse 57. After they asked these questions, they were offended in what? Him. They're not offended by what He does. No, they are offended in Him. They are offended in who He is. The word offended is that Greek word skandalizo, which means entrapped or tripped up. Would you not think that the proper response by now would be to bow before Him and confess your sins to Him, to seek salvation from Him? But they don't. Why? Because they are sinners. And if you've ever seen a picture of the depravity of man, here it is. They know all this stuff about Jesus, and they've witnessed Him do all the things He did. They've heard all these teachings. They have seen people. They have seen people healed by His mighty power, but they are unable with belief to embrace who He is. That is the depravity of the human heart, and that will never change until the regenerating power of God comes on a man's heart and changes him and gives him everlasting life. If you're sitting here this morning saved by God's grace, you know that you belong to Him. You have been born into His kingdom. You are His child. He's your Father. I want to remind you, you would be sitting with these people in Nazareth were it not for the intervention of God's mercy and grace in your heart. You say, preacher, I figured this out on my own. You didn't figure out anything on your own about Jesus. You say, but I've seen Him work. So had they. I've been raised being taught about Him. So were they. I've seen Him do this and I've seen Him do that. Yes, so did they. But the only cure for unbelief, the only cure for unbelief, the only way that you are not offended in Him is when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God convict and convince you of who He is. I am not convinced of Jesus by mental attainment. That doesn't mean I throw my knowledge away. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am not convinced of that just by what I see or what I feel. Thank God it's what He has done. It's how He has shown Himself. Look at our great nation and our churches and our families and look at us even as individuals. All of this evidence, all of this proof, and we refuse to bow before Him and worship Him and follow Him and share Him with the lost world. Now, there's people listening to me this morning, here and by other means, who have the ability to convince me and others that they know Him. And yet, you really know in your heart that you don't know Him yourself. You see, people can be blessed and still reject Him. Secondly, look at the latter statement in verse 57. A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Not only can people be blessed and still reject Christ, but familiarity with Christ is dangerous. Familiarity with Christ is dangerous. These people had grown up with Christ. They knew Him. They obviously know His, know his family. I mean, they're, they're calling more names in Jesus' family than I probably could remember in my own this morning. And they're, they're laying them out there. They, they know His family. They know his earthly father. They knew his mother. 
They knew his brothers, sisters. But that was a stumbling block for them because Jesus came. This is how we, ident- we identify Jesus with this, with this group. Do you see? Follow me, follow me carefully here. They are expressing how they identify Jesus. They identify Jesus with what they know about him because they grew up with him and because of the visual and the mental images and the sociological attachments they have. That's how they know Jesus, and that's the only way they know Jesus. And there's a lot of people sitting in church today who only know Jesus in that same way. They grew up with him. They were taught about him in Sunday school, and they have just kind of followed that pattern with him and and they know that he fed thousands and walked on water and they know all of that about him but they have never bowed in repentance and confessed before God that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and that only Jesus Christ by his atoning and sacrificial work could ever bring man in a right relationship with God. Familiarity with Christ is dangerous if it never exceeds just the sociological and the human part of knowing Him. There's more to knowing Christ than just knowing His mother and His children and just knowing what He did and what He said. There's more to knowing Jesus than that. Notice the phrase there when He said, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. He said only in in his hometown, in his own house. He said, I am here in my own hometown, in my own house. I am a prophet without honor. Look at that phrase or those two words without honor. Jesus is basically saying, you are stripping me of my glory. You are stripping me of my glory. Jesus is saying, I had to speak in parables and I taught in parables because of the hardness of your heart and your unwillingness to repent. And in doing that, you are stripping me of my glory. You're here today lost. You've never been saved. And the Spirit of God and the Word of God has convicted and convinced you of who Jesus is and you walk away in unbelief. You are stripping Him of His glory in a greater manner than the Roman soldier stripped Him of His clothing on the cross of Calvary. You are taking away what is His glory. Thank God He came to do the will of the Father. That is His glory. He did the will of the Father. He came to redeem us. And when men walk away from Him, they are stripping Him of His glory. Jesus is saying to them and to us, You dishonor me. And right here in my hometown, in His own house, that's one thing for a man coming out of a beer joint who confronts an evangelist or a Christian sharing a gospel track or sharing the gospel with him for that man to spit in your face and walk away. That's one thing. But for someone to sit in his own house, for someone to come with his people, for someone to hold his words and yet walk away from that, that is stripping him of his glory. That's taking away all of the honor. Preacher, what should I do? I don't want to do that. Come unto me, Jesus said. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The prophet Isaiah said, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Don't strip him of his glory. You and I ought to sit up and take a warning here. Familiarity can be dangerous. To hear the truth about Jesus Christ weekly, that's a That's a blessing. That's a God-given blessing. And I hope you consider it a blessing to hear biblical truth 
preached from this pulpit, to hear biblical truth taught in your classes, to hear songs that are biblical sung as we have sung this morning. But don't become so familiar with that that we forget the danger of having it and not responding to it correctly. We must respond to Jesus. So you can be blessed and still rejecting. Secondly, you can be familiar with Christ, and that's dangerous if it goes no further. But thirdly, in verse 58, unbelief will ultimately damn your soul. He said in verse 58, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now Mark tells us he healed a few people, but Matthew says he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He cannot do mighty works there because of unbelief. Now most of the time when you hear verse 58 quoted, you'll hear it quoted by the faith healers, and you'll hear it quoted by the word of faith preachers and teachers who tell people that the only reason the Lord don't heal you is because you don't have any faith. you got unbelief. That is taking this verse totally out of context. So if next time you hear that, understand that if you've ever heard it. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In other words, if you think about what Jesus said in verse 58 and think about the parables we just finished, Nazareth was bad soil, bad soil. And it was bad soil because of their unbelief. And Jesus did not do the mighty work He would have done there because they have failed to believe that He was God in the flesh. I want you to understand that the people of Nazareth were not doubting that Jesus could do miracles. That's not the issue. That's what amazes me when people take this verse out of context. They, they don't doubt that He can do miracles because they just talk about that up in the first opening verses of this text this morning. They believe He can do miracles. That's not what they are doubting. They are doubting that He is the Messiah. Faith, listen carefully, faith is not faith that Jesus can do miracles and supernatural things in your life. That's how faith is preached mostly here in the South and around the world. Faith is not faith that Jesus can do miracles and supernatural things. Faith is that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, the only way back to God, and you receive and trust Him alone for that salvation. That is what faith is for in this world, is to believe in Christ. He offers Himself to us through the gospel. That's the kind of faith Jesus is speaking about here when He says they have unbelief. People came to Christ all the time who were wondering whether He could do amazing things in their life. But the key is those who trusted Him as Lord and Savior. You see, this verse shows us that our unbelief, our unbelief is what prevents God's saving grace from coming down upon us. Why is it that there are people who do not believe? The answer is here. It's their own sinful heart of unbelief. And what I mean by that is not that God's purpose and power is stopped, I mean that faith is always the way of our receiving God's grace through the gospel. We believe. That's what it says. But people can't do that. They've got to believe and feel something. They've got to believe and see something. They've got to believe and have this experience that they can 
talk about for the rest of their life and nobody understands what they are talking about. How about this? Listen to this. One day, through the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, I was convicted of my unrighteousness and convinced that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, was the only way that I could ever be forgiven of my sins and made right with God. And by faith given to me as a gift of God, I believe it and I'm saved. Boy, that don't sell t-shirts. No, it don't. That, I never even got a goosebump when you said that, preacher. Good. Because just as quick as your goosebumps rise, your goosebumps go under. We believe, don't we? And Jesus could do no mighty works there in His hometown because men refuse to believe. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in Caldwell County who will die and go to hell and their soul be damned for eternity will do so because they refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some people who will not believe in Christ despite the very clearest of evidences. And that's what our world is looking for today. Our world is not looking for gospel preachers. Our world is looking for men and women who can come to town and make you feel great about what you don't have. And even make you feel eternally secure in things that are not biblical. Christ didn't come to do that. He came to bring salvation. And I want to remind you, it's not a lack of truthfulness or proof of evidence that keeps us away from Christ. What keeps us away from embracing Him is something far more serious. It's our familiarity with Him and our unbelief of Him. If you're listening to this message this morning and you are an unbeliever, listen as I close what the Bible says. Acts 16.31, listen what the Bible says. This is what Paul told the men, the Philippian jailer. Listen what he said. And all, and all this dramatic, all, I mean, earthquaking, you've got all the dramatical stuff. And I, I've heard men preach that text, and they preach everything but the most important point, and here it is. Listen what Paul said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Paul didn't say, believe that this is the last time God's going to ever deal with you. Paul didn't say, if you're not 100% sure you're a Christian, come to Him now. Paul didn't say any of that. Matter of fact, none of that is ever said in the Word of God. Paul said, Believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Listen to what he told the Romans in Romans 3 20 through 22. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. If you live the rest of this day, if you live the rest of this hour without repenting of unbelief and calling upon the Lord for salvation, like the residents of our Lord's hometown, and all who will not believe, then what you do ultimately is you strip Him of His honor and glory. And that means we're no different than the Roman soldiers who gambled for His garments. Oh, thank God will you not believe. Jesus comes back to His hometown. And this is what He deals with. 
He deals with people who are thrilled at His blessings, but not convinced that He's God. He deals with people that are familiar with Him and are offended in Him. They strip His glory by not admitting and confessing who He is. And He deals with unbelief. And unbelief always stops the mighty work of God. How can you honor Christ this morning? How can you honor Him right now? How can you give Him the glory that's due His name? The answer to that is simple. By believing. Listen to me. There's a place, there's a place, a place in my life, in your life, there's a place for praise and adoration, there's a place for giving Him glory, there's a place for that, that's well defined in Scripture. But don't you minimize the gift that God has given you by faith to simply believe Him, to simply believe Him. Preacher, I'm not much of a Christian, I, I don't, I, I'm not able to do it. Do you believe Do you believe by the faith that God gave you that Jesus Christ is who He said He was and is? And do you believe that He can do what He said He did and can do? Do you believe that today? Thank God Jesus said, there's a crowd here, He said in John's Gospel, that have seen Me and believe. He said, but blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. How can can you honor Christ this morning? I close with this verse in John 1, 10 through 12, these verses. Listen to what John said about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Amen. Do you believe? Jesus is worthy of our belief. He is worthy of everything that this book says about Him. I don't believe everything I've heard testified about Him. I don't believe it. I've heard some discrepancies in testimonies. I don't believe everything that I've heard people say that he did or didn't do. I don't don't buy into all that either. Some of that's good. Some of that is dangerous stuff. But I believe everything this precious book says about him. For he is altogether lovely. And John said, this is the record. This is the record. John said in his gospel, these things have been written that you might believe. I preach Christ, and I try to preach Him as the Bible presents Him for one reason, that He be glorified through men believing Him and trusting Him. How long has it been since you just thanked Him for giving you faith to believe Him? Again, if you think you would have figured this out on your own, and if you think because you live right that He escorted you in, if you think because you kept the commandments to a certain degree that He ushered you in, Think again, He gave you faith to believe, and He is worthy of our belief. Father, I want to thank You this morning for the privilege to be gathered together. Thank You for the Word of God that was taught in Sunday school. Thank You for the songs that we've been able to sing. Thank You, Father, for 
everything you've done in this service and will continue to do as a result of the Word of God and of your people worshiping you. Father, I want to thank you that because of your grace and mercy that I believe today it's all your work and to you be all the glory and all the honor. For those sitting here in this place today who have who would not doubt your blessings and would never deny that you had been good to them, but yet they still reject you because they have never repented and believed the gospel and believed upon the Lord Jesus. I pray for them this morning that God, you'd give them faith and give them grace to believe. Lord, you said if we would, if we would believe and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus that we would be saved. And I pray that you would make that clear for every longing heart. Lord, help us not to be f so familiar with you that we strip you of your glory. Help us, Lord, to get away from the questions and live with the answers and rejoice in what you have told us in your word. And I pray this morning, Father, that every heart of unbelief, every individual where unbelief is today, I pray, Father, the grace of God would remove that unbelief and men would call unto you so you could do your mighty work of saving grace and saving faith. Thank you, Father, that you and you alone can present this truth to the heart of sinful man. You and you alone can present this to the place that it's understood to where men will call upon you. And I pray you would do your work now, Father, as only you can do it. Thank you again for your great salvation. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that you are God in the flesh. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you suffered. Thank you that you died and arose and Lord ascended, and thank you that you will return. Now help us as we go from this place. If our hearts are not right with you, Lord, I pray you'll do that work and make that right. And for those of us who do know you, may we be thankful throughout this day and in the days to come for your amazing grace. We love you, Father, and thank you for all you've done for us. For it's in your precious name we pray and ask these things. Amen.